as we begin our service of worship by singing our praises to God together. In my wrestling and in my doubts, in my failures, you won't walk out. Your great love will lead me through. You are the peace in my troubles. You are the peace in my troubles.
please pray with me. Father, we are in awe of your power and your glory. You are the almighty creator of the universe, and yet you love each one of us. We pray that by your spirit you would lead us where our trust is without borders. Help us to walk on the water in faith, knowing that you will always carry us. And when the oceans rise and when things get crazy, that you are always with us. You will guide us through it all to your promise. May you be glorified this morning. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Before you're seated, take a moment, share a word of greeting with others who are here. Introduce yourself, perhaps, to someone that uh, you don't know. Good morning. Uh, in case we haven't met, my name is Michael Jordan, and I'm the dean of the chapel up at the college and a happy member of this church. Uh, always happy. Every minute of every day. Um, last year in my small group, we were sitting around and talking about uh, how to connect with students best. And we were just saying, you know, uh, some of us who have been around Houghton a long time can remember when many students lived in people's houses in the community, and there's a real natural connection between the college and the community. And we're saying that's kind of fallen off in recent years for a lot of reasons. And so I just wanted to sort of stand up at the beginning of the year and invite you to be part of the things that are going on on campus. I have two specific ways to do that, but also just a more general sort of welcome anytime you'd like to come and be a part of things. One important uh, specific way to mention that is at the beginning of this year, starting next week, we have Christian Life Emphasis Week, which is something our church and the college puts on together. And it starts, there's a, there's a full uh, schedule of the services on the back of your bulletin, but it starts here next Sunday morning. And then there are services at the college and at the church uh, after that. Um, some of you who have been around Houghton as long as I have can remember when Christian Life Emphasis Week was a full week. And some of you who are older than me remember when it was two weeks long. But now it's not quite two weeks or even one week. It's more like half a week. It'll run from Sunday through Wednesday. And uh, we'd really like to have you be part of it. Um, the services, aside from the one here Sunday morning, the rest of the services are up at the college. We're really very glad to have you. And it means a lot to the students to see the town kind of come around and surround them uh, with love. So we'd be really glad to have you there for that. And uh, Richard Mao, uh, some of you who go back much further than me may even remember him uh, as he was here as a student and has gone on to an illustrious and wonderful career in the pastorate and the academy. Uh, two other ways that I just invite you to be involved with the community. We have at the college uh, chapel three times a week, 1105. That's the, the time that the Christian Life Emphasis Week services are. Every week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we have chapel. Those are all open to the public. And each day, classes are in session Monday through Friday. We have morning prayer at 730. So if you're an early bird and you want to be up, uh, we have some students and some faculty and staff who will gather at 7.30 in the morning for a short service, about 15 minutes, 
of prayer, a time of quieting our hearts. We'd be glad to have you join us for that. And each day, kind of at the close of the school day, I mean, classes go into the evening, but kind of the spiritual close of the school day, I'm calling it, at 345, we have um, evening communion service. And that's going to be held on the third floor of the library. And again, that's open to everybody. One special way I thought maybe people here might want to be involved with it, and no pressure if you don't, but I was wondering if maybe folks here might like to bake bread for that communion service. I know we have a number of bakers and hospitable types here. And so if you're interested in making a loaf of bread a week or once a month for our students to share during communion, I'd sure be appreciative of that. So if you're interested in doing that, please just let me know. Give me a call. Shoot me an email. Um, but I'd really, uh, I think that would be maybe a good way for our church to be of tangible service to our students. Again, talk to me anytime if you have any ideas for connecting the town and the gown. Uh, that's something we really would like to do more of. Thanks so much. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate that. And I uh, just want to just mention to you uh, that Sunday school begins today. And uh, there are classes for all ages of children. The youth group uh, has classes that meets up in the um, Chamberlain Center on campus. And uh, we have a number of adult classes, uh, some in the community room and some down in the basement here. And we are, uh, hope you will participate in Sunday school as you can. And also there are some inserts in your bulletin about ways you can be involved. Uh, I think one of the ways that we strengthen our faith is by uh, being active in helping others and serving others. And you can, uh, one of the sheets is about connecting with college students. And then there's a sheet with the nursery. And another one is just a general thing of if you might be interested in being involved with children, youth, college ministry, adult ministry, music, readers, and you can just check one of those boxes. There's a box in the back. You can drop it in there as you leave, or you can, uh, you can also just contact the church office and say, hey, I'm interested in this, and we'll get you connected to the right people. We're going to ask the ushers to come now and assist us in the giving of our tithes and offerings.
seated. We are uh, happy to be uh, the uh, sponsoring church group that uh, helps organize and supports the Koinonia ministry, which is Sunday night worship ministry. It takes place in the chapel uh, each Sunday night of the, of the year. College is in session. And we have some uh, students who give a ton of time and energy and passion to this ministry. And we thought it would be a good idea this morning to uh, take a minute and to pray for them as they embark on this ministry that has such a great influence and has the potential to do just some amazing things on campus. So I'm going to ask the students who are part of the Cornelia ministry to come and to kneel around the altar rail. And as we pray together, uh, if you would like to come and get, kneel around them, lay hands on them, uh, just a means of supporting them, uh, please come. And uh, let's pray for them as we pray for the needs of our church, our lives, and of our world. Father, we thank you for all the ways in which your work in our lives and our lips do indeed offer praise to you. And we want to glorify you today. Father, we come this morning recognizing the needs of our own lives and ask for your grace. We pray, Father, that you will bring peace and comfort and healing to all who are grieving today, for all who are struggling with loss and pain in the various ways in which it comes to us. We pray, Father, for all who are struggling with illness and in need of healing. We pray especially today for Alice Brown and Florence Tuber, for Bunny Austin and Mike Raybuck, Jill Tyson, Bruce Brenneman, for Beverett and Micah Christensen, Linda Roth, Dick Gould and Crystal Blake and Emily Crickler, and for others who may be on our minds and our hearts today. Father, we, we pray today for our nation and our world. So we commemorate the 10th anniversary of the flooding in New Orleans and across the Gulf Coast. We, we thank you for the restoration and healing that's taken place. And we continue to pray for people and communities that are still trying to recover. We pray, Father, that you will help us to be be people who help them in their struggles. And, Father, for situations around the world, we pray for your peace in the country of Nigeria that is continuing to see violence. We think about the more than 500,000 Christians who have been displaced because of violence. We ask, Father, that you would comfort them and help them and strengthen them. And we pray that you would help your church here and around the world to be a presence of hope in the midst of difficult circumstances. Father, we pray for this time of year as missionary families are experiencing separation, children going off to school and uh, different kinds of transitions. And we ask for your grace upon each of them. 
As we embark on another academic year, we pray for your grace to be upon all who are called to teach, all who come to learn, all who lead, all who, whose task is to provide support to the process, to everyone who is involved. And upon all of us, we pray that you would do more this year than we would dream or imagine. We pray that you will ground us in your spirit and that you will light a fire in this place, in our lives, in this church, in the institutions around us, that we will see amazing life change. Father, we pray especially today for the ministry of Koinonia. We pray for each of these leaders who are kneeling here before us. We pray that you will anoint them with power, anoint them with your grace and your mercy. We pray that you'll help them as they plan and prepare each week and as they lead the ministry on Sunday nights. May they have a sense of your spirit at work in ways that are beyond them. Fill their eyes and their hands and their feet and their mouths that as they sing, as they share, as they engage people who are there, that they will sense that this is a moving of your spirit. This is an event of your grace. And that you would do marvelous things through this ministry. Father, at this time, as we ask in all times, give us grace to trust you. Help us to know your spirit at work in our lives each and every day. And we pray all of this through the grace and the power and the strength of Jesus Christ, our crucified, risen, and returning Lord. Amen. morning. Following the scripture reading, uh, children ages two through five can be dismissed to children's church. I'll be reading from Psalm 52. Why do you boast of evil, you mighty man? Why do you boast all day long, you who are a disgrace in the eyes of God? Your tongue plots destruction. It is like a sharpened razor, you who practice deceit. You love evil rather than good, Falsehood rather than speaking the truth. You love every harmful word, O you deceitful tongue. Surely God will bring you down to everlasting ruin. He will snatch you up and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous will see and fear. They will laugh at him, saying, Here now is the man who did not make God his stronghold, but trusted in his great wealth and grew strong. By destroying others. But I am like an olive tree, flourishing in the house of God. I trust in God's unfailing love forever and ever. I will praise you forever for what you have done. In your name I will hope, for your name is good. I will praise you in the presence of your saints. Please stand. 
stand as we sing. Grandeur earth has quaked before, moved by the sound of his voice. Seas that are shaken and stirred can be caught and broken from my
Please be seated. It was kind of like a, um, a twisted fairy tale. If you look at the top of this psalm, uh, there is a, a word of explanation as to why this psalm was written. As I said last week, we, we don't get a lot of psalms that give us context, but this one does. At the beginning of this psalm, it says, For the choir director, Psalm of David, regarding the time Doeg the Edomite said to Saul, David has gone to see Ahimelech. Now, if you don't know anything about that story, that seems pretty innocuous. Right? Doeg goes to Saul and says, hey, David went to see Ahimelech. Great, big deal. There's a whole lot more going on. 1 Samuel chapter 21, chapter 22. This is a story of uh, Saul has become jealous of David. Saul's heart has been hardened to God. And David has been chosen as his successor. And as you might well imagine, Saul's not happy about it. And Saul... Uh, chases David out of the palace where David has been living. In fact, he throws a spear at him a couple of times. And David gets the message, I'm not welcome here. And he's out, he has a band of men around him, a few hundred, and they roam the hillsides trying to avoid Saul and his army. And they get to the point in chapter 21 where David and his men are starving. They're exhausted, they're hungry, they have nothing to eat. And David goes to Nob, which is a town that has a place of worship. And the priest there, Ahimelech, who David has dealt with on a variety of occasions, Ahimelech knows David, knows David is a part of Saul's palace. And he goes to, to Ahimelech and he says, you got anything for us to eat? And Ahimelech says, all I have is the bread that is, in the old language, the show bread. It's the bread that's it's used in the temple. It'd be like the communion bread. And he says, that's all I've got. And, and he says, but... Knowing your situation, you can have it. Himalek doesn't know David is running from Saul at this point. It's just started. And so he gives him the bread. And as David walks out of the temple, he sees Doeg, the Edomite, standing there watching all of this take place. He says later, I should have known that was a problem, but I didn't do anything about it. So story fast forwards, and Saul is ranting and raving to his officers about how No one is telling him where David is, and even his own son, Jonathan, is hiding David. And no one is telling him that all this stuff is going on. And he says, something's got to be done. Where is David? And Doeg steps forward. Doeg is the chief shepherd of Saul. So he's risen in the ranks. He steps forward. He says, I saw David. He went to Himelech the priest, and the priest helped him. He gave him bread. Doeg knows by making those, saying those very words, he has put a hit out on Himelech's life. And Saul says, go get him. And he brings Himelech to Saul. And Saul says, what are you doing helping David, my enemy? And Himelech says, what? I thought David was your friend. He says, no, he's not. And he gets so angry that he says to his soldier, Saul says, kill him. And the soldier's like, yeah, I don't think so. We're not touching God's priest. Doeg steps forward and says, I'll do it. And he kills him. And 85 other priests that are a part of that temple in Nob. And even that, but that's not, that's all Saul wanted. But Doeg is such an evil person. And I don't know, I guess we would probably call him some kind of a sociopath. But he goes to the town of Nob and he slaughters everybody. And he comes back and says, Saul, taken care of. That's all we hear of him. 
until this psalm. And David's, this psalm is a response of David to what he has seen happen. We don't know exactly when in the, in the chronological order of things that this psalm, takes, psalm is written. I suspect it's, there's a little bit of time that flows after it. Because David says, talks about Doeg boasting about what he's done. And word gets back to David that, Do, that Doeg is so happy with himself, so pleased with himself. Look at what I've accomplished. And you get the sense that maybe he's saying, you think David is so great? Look at what I've done. You want to hang out with David, this renegade? Look what happens to the people who help David. Look at me, how great I am. And I assume, based on verse 7, where David talks about wealth, that Doeg is rewarded handsomely by Saul for what he's done. And in response, with his heart breaking and angry and irritated and frustrated, David writes this psalm. And if you just put the psalm in a nutshell, David is basically saying, when you encounter evil in this world, injustice, trust God. Now you would expect the Bible to say that, right? Trust God. And part of us want to say, okay, we got it. Let's walk out. We're done. We trust God. But the whole point of David writing the psalm is to remind himself and everyone who reads it, including us, that that's not easy to do. In the face of all the stuff that's going on in our world and even in our own lives. No one has to, to convince us, I don't think at least, that we live in a world where evil and injustice are, seem to be running rampant. I mean, just this week, another shooting of innocent people. We read in our missions moment this morning, these 500,000 some odd Christians who are fleeing Boko Haram. In Myanmar, there's terrible flooding and there are stories coming back that people who are Christians are not being helped because they're Christians. And then we, we read about other places where it's not just against Christians. But, you know, just this week, uh, this truck that was found with refugees trying to escape and suffocated to death. And boat capsizing, killing hundreds of people. And, and we hear stories of people sold into slavery and human trafficking and you know, abuse that takes place on every level that's almost unimaginable to us. There is no argument that evil is prevalent and injustice is prevalent in our world. And we, we come face to face with it and we keep asking, what do we do about it? And I suspect that one of the most natural human responses to all of this is to say, I can't handle it. I can't take it. And we ignore it. There's something in our minds that says, if I don't read the news, if I don't watch what's going on, if I don't pay attention to it, if I just live in my little cocoon and shell, then I don't have to think about it and it doesn't hurt so much. I get that because I feel that way sometimes. I feel that. I, mean, I want to avoid reading anything. I want to avoid watching what's going on. I want to avoid hearing one more story because it's so much. It feels like I just can't take it anymore. And so the natural reaction is to close our ears and our eyes and to just say we're not going to think about it. But that is never God's response to justice, to injustice and to evil. 
As we've said many times, God's plan for taking care of this stuff is never denial. It's it's embracing it. Nothing is going to change. Nothing good is going to happen if we just pretend that it's not true. Close ourselves off to it. And I think one of the reasons we do that is because it does hurt so much. And when we begin to really feel what's going on in the world, and quite frankly, some of the things that happen to us that may not reach the level of what people in the world are experiencing, but still we feel things happening to us, people hurt us. And if we really engage it and feel it, we're going to become so emotional about it that we may do things that we wish we wouldn't do. And we react. I think the psalm is speaking to people at two levels. On the one level, the psalm is saying, don't give in to doing evil. Don't be people who perpetrate evil. Don't be like Doeg the Edomite. And, you know, we think, well, of course, we would never do those kinds of things. But let's be honest. There are times when we get so, so driven by what we want that we walk over people. And we ignore people in need. And we trample people. And we hurt people. And, and sometimes we do it in the name of, well, I'm just getting what I need and what I want. And the psalm is a warning about being people who create injustice, who create pain and heartache. And, and we're all going to wrestle with that because we're human and we struggle. But we're trying to avoid that. But I think actually at a deeper level, the psalm is really addressing not so much the people who do evil as it is how we respond to the people who do evil. And our natural reaction when we really start feeling it is to say we're going to strike back at those people. And something in us believes that it's justified to say the the way we fight evil is with evil. And the church has struggled with that through the centuries. How do we respond to people who oppose the church? We imprison them. We attack them. We kill them. We vilify them. We use the exact same strategy that's being used against us. And the scriptures are clear that that is never God's strategy. But it's our natural human inclination to strike out. I mean, this week we were dealing with a situation that related to the some departments of the federal government and trying to sort through all of that and you know that's going to be a headache the minute you mention dealing with the federal government it's just so big and so difficult and you know i was getting we were getting so frustrated about this and you know i'm thinking to myself all of the things that i want god to do to the people who have made this happen and i realized wait stop that's that's not the way we need to handle this but it's our natural inclination We've become so frustrated and so deeply hurt and emotional about it that we want to strike out and the psalm is saying, no, that's not what it means to trust God. And part of the reason we struggle with trusting God is because, quite frankly, sometimes, well, a lot of times, God doesn't do what we think he should do when he should do it. Right? I mean, we're saying, Lord, this is clearly a problem. Why aren't you doing something about it? And when God doesn't act quickly enough or in the way that we think he should, then we say, well, I guess I'm going to have to handle this one myself. 
Trusting God is not, Lord, I'll trust you when you take care of this problem. I'll trust you if you do it the way I want you to do it. Trusting God in these circumstances is simply saying, Lord, I don't understand. I can't explain it. I can't really come to grips with it. But I want to trust you. I think one of the reasons sometimes that God doesn't act as quickly as we would like for him to is because it gives us the opportunity to be a part of the solution. It's much easier on us to say, God, you take care of that. I'll just stay here in my little safe life. And perhaps one of the reasons why God doesn't take care of it the way we want him to is because he's saying to us, I want you to be a part of my solution. I want you to get involved in this pain. I want you to be one of the people who helps heal this situation and brings an end to this injustice or at least tries to curb it. I want to use you. I want you to trust me enough that you will actually be a part of the solution to the problem. And if God just steps in all the time and does it for us, we don't have to be the solution. We don't have to think about all these things. We just say, you handle it and we'll just stay here. We'll just be nice and safe and comfortable. But we never learn to trust God in that. We never grow, we never develop because one of the ways in which we develop and understand who God is is to be a part of God's solution. And maybe that's one of the reasons why God doesn't do things as quickly as he should. I think it's also just the whole dynamic of free will. And and if God steps in to solve everything, if God acts in justice about every sin that we want him to, then what does that mean for us and the stuff that we're not doing the way we should be doing it? You see, we want God to step in and, and, and bring justice in situations about those people, not so much about whatever we might be doing. But God often makes us wait because we have to learn to trust. And when we learn to trust, we begin to draw closer to God. And as we draw closer to God, we begin to experience more of all that he is in our lives. And we begin to become the people that he created us to be because we're engaged with him in a way that you simply can't be until you learn to trust. David makes this kind of odd statement here as he gets, you know, verses 1 to 7 are all about how the people, how God's going to deal with the justice and, and how the, you know, they're going to be facing it and the day is coming. And then he gets to verse 8 and he says, and I am like an olive tree. What? Where did that come from? And I don't know exactly what David means. And as I was reading about it, most people don't know exactly what David means. But it seems to have something to do with the, the olive tree being a sign of, of abundance and, and of blessing Trees in general in the Middle East are a sign of blessing. And the olive tree, which has such great value to that part of the world for food, uh, it's used often in that, especially in the ancient times, for oil to to light and and to bring light to places. It was also used in medicinal purposes for people. Everything about it is helpful and good. And David is saying, I want to be like that. I want to be a presence for good, not for evil. I want to be a presence for healing not for causing pain. But like all trees, olive trees take a little while to develop. 
If you plant a sapling in your yard, it does not become a mighty tree in two days. Or two weeks, or two months, or two years. Maybe not even two decades. And a lot of, a lot of thinking about a tree is waiting and watching and even when the tree is fully grown and it's, you're getting a harvest out of it, it's only at certain times of the year. And the rest of the year you wait and you hope. And David is saying, I want to be a tree, like, like an olive tree that, that is willing to wait expectantly for the fruit to come. And a huge part of trusting God is waiting for God and believing that God is going to do what he says he's going to do. We believe that God is faithful and good. And, and as he says in verse 1, to, as he addresses Doeg, he says, look, you have to remember God's justice goes on forever. And you may not think you're going to be held accountable for it now, but you will be someday. And ultimately, that is the ground, the foundation of our trust. That God is in control and that God has conquered. And the day is coming when, in the words of N.T. Wright, God will put all things to right. He says, you know, the Psalms really don't give us an answer for evil. Instead, the Psalms keep reminding us again and again and again that God is going to restore and renew his creation. He is going to right the wrongs that human beings have inflicted on each other. And he's going to begin that work with the people who are weak and needy and defenseless and vulnerable. Because that is most often where injustice takes place. And that is our hope. It's our hope that God is indeed going to make things right. The day is coming when God will, will bring justice to bear. But that justice is not rooted in anger or wrath or vengeance like ours tends to be. That justice, like everything else about God, is rooted in his mercy and his loving kindness and his unfailing love. That's those elements of his character that allows us to be a part of the kingdom and that will deal rightly and justly with all of the evil and the injustice that we see in our world. I mean, sometimes we ask, is God going to do anything about evil, about injustice? And, and isn't the answer really at this table? I mean, we come to this table, and, and as, as we are served the elements, the words are spoken. This is the body of Christ broken for you. This is the blood of Christ shed for you. How did God deal with evil by sending his son to once and for all willingly give his life. That is God's solution to evil, love. 
And as you and I think about the evil and injustice of our world, anything we do, everything we do to try to curb it, to try to heal it, to try to be a presence to end it and to help people who have been through it, all of that is rooted in the heart of God's love and grace and mercy. And yes, that mercy sometimes means that we we stand up and we say no to evil. But it's not from a heart of vengeance, not from a heart of bitterness that can easily be rooted in us, but from a heart of love and mercy, the heart of Christ. And as we begin to grasp that heart, we begin to have a sense of trust. That God is good. That God is at work. Whether we see it or not, we believe it's true. As we come to the table this morning, recognizing all of the evil in our world, all of the injustice in our world, all of the things that burden us and, and weigh heavily upon us, we come still in a spirit of hope. Because we know that God is in control. And God is good. And we can trust him. Today and forever. Holy Father, we thank you for your mercy. That is forgiveness for our sins. That is justice for the evil of this world. Father, as we come to this table, we come face to face with your solution to the evil of the world, your love in your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that your anointing, your blessing would rest upon the bread and the cup of which we will partake this morning. Let it be food for our souls. Let it help us to to focus more on trusting you and allowing you to use us to bring about transformation in this world. Father, be glorified as we honor you, as we trust you, as we serve you. Through the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. He gave thanks to the Father in heaven, and then he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, for this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. On the same night, he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples, saying, Drink from this, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. This morning, we are receiving communion by the mode of intinction. This means to dip in. And as you're released by rose, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup, eat it, and then you can return to your seat by the outside aisles. The altar rail is always open if you'd like to stay and pray. 
If coming to the front is difficult for you, or if you simply prefer, we do have a tray of bread and cups. We're happy to serve you in your seats. Just let the usher know as your row is released. And I also have gluten-free wafers here and cups. And if, if, that would, uh, if you need that, just let me know as you come forward, and I will serve you those. I, I always like to mention that we practice open communion through Weston Church. It might be the first time you've ever worshipped here. But if you come today with your heart open to Christ and a desire in your heart to trust him and to be a channel of his grace in this world, then come and receive these gifts in the hand of our gracious, loving Heavenly Father.
grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen.